0: Welcome to this Peer Voice activity. To access the entire activity, including downloadable slides and transcript, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash ZNH. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Alexion
1: Pharmaceuticals, Incorporated pnhの溶血に関する教育フロクラムにようこそ今回は補体阻害剤投与患者の評価と緩和策の適用について解説いたします私たちはpnhの治療環境において非常にエキサイティンクな時代に来ています抗c 5モノクローナル抗体エクリスマフはこの 10年てpnhの自然史を大きく変えましたしかしなから持続的な貧血による輸血を必要とする患者 感染症など 繰り返しになりますか私たちはエキサイティンクな時代に来ています未解決の臨床ニースを克服するためにいくつかの第二世代のc 5阻害剤の開発か進行中てすその戦略は薬剤の半減期の延長c なり 5阻害剤か C 患者の天気に与える影響c、5阻害剤投与患者のモニタリンクに関する実践的アフローチについて解説いたします現在ては患者さんにとってより効果的な新しい治療方法か確立されつつありますこれは非常にエキサイティンクなことたと思います
0: Hello everyone. My name is Dr. Austin Kalasekaraj from King's College Hospital in London, in the United Kingdom. Welcome to this activity, and this is titled Hemolysis in PNH: Practical Approaches to Monitoring Patients Receiving Complement Inhibitors. In this presentation, I hope I'll be able to discuss the causes of anemia in patients on C5 inhibition, the different types of hemolysis which can happen, and how do we approach monitoring these patients whilst they receive C5 inhibitors. I don't need to remind this audience, but clinical triad of PNH is composed of chronic intravascular hemolysis, which is complement mediated. And this hemolysis can be chronic stable or can take the form of paroxysms. These patients also have a significant propensity to develop thromboembolism. Common sites are common, but these patients can also have thrombosis in cerebral veins, hepatic veins, and other other, uh, venous and arterial architecture. Nearly a third to a fourth of patients can present with thrombosis at the initial presentation with PNH. The last phenotype is significantly common that there is a variable degree of cytopenia over and above the anemia, and the underlying marrow failure, especially aplastic anemia, can be present in a vast majority of these patients or could have a history of bone marrow failure. And patients can be classified as hemolytic, thrombotic, or AA PNH syndrome, but patients can have all three together too. Untreated PNH is classically a disease of intravascular hemolysis due to complement activation. Complement is the first line of defense as part of innate immune system, and it's always active. Thereby, in a patient with PNH who do not have the GPA anchor protein on the surface of red cells, white cells, and platelets, this can lead to significant activation and in red cells leads to hemolysis or destruction of these red cells leading on to the downstream complications, including anemia, hemoglobinuria, dysphagia, and abdominal pain. And in a steady state, PNH red cells can take different types of hemolysis, all intravascular, so you can have a stable chronic intravascular hemolysis. And in times of complement activation, this can lead to exaggeration of the hemolysis called acute intravascular hemolysis. And just to remind, the uncontrolled complement activation in PNH leads to destruction of the red cells, leading on to free hemoglobin and decreased nitric oxide. And this is measured by a simple blood test, lactate dehydrogenase or LDH, and this can lead on to significant complications which can impact on the mortality and morbidity of these patients. So where does the treatment come in? So map and map both are C5 inhibitors, which bind with extremely high affinity to the C5, thereby the terminal complement cascade is totally blocked. The membrane attack complex activity is not seen. But advantageously, the proximal functions of the complement remain intact so that the other complications like microbial, microbial opsonization, immune complex clearance, is left intact. So what happens when you start a patient on complement inhibition, i.e. C5 inhibition in the form of eculizumab or ravulizumab? The first thing I always look out for is what has happened to the LDH. In A significant majority, more than 99% of patients, the LDH will be reduced, and this reduction in LDH will be mostly less than one and a half times the upper limit of normal, and these patients will continue therapy. Extremely rare, although reported, is these patients who do have polymorphism in C5, which does not allow the binding of ecluzumab and Rabluzumab, and these are the true non-responders as the LDH will not change. Additionally, compared to ecluzumab patients prefer Rabluzumab not just because of the less frequent infusions, i.e. every eight weekly, but also due to other factors, including impact on their overall quality of life and also ability to do activities. So, Patients who are treated with C5 inhibitors have the PNH red cells, do not hemolyze, but because of the proximal activation of the complement cascade, which is left still uh, active, this can lead on to deposition of C3 degraded products on the PNH red cells. And these cells needs to be removed from the circulation And This happens in the reticuloendothelial system, i.e. in the liver and spleen, leading on to what we call it as extravascular hemolysis, and this can be chronic. But there is also a proportion of patients when you start them on complement inhibition, i.e. with C5 inhibition. Although most of the time there is reduction in the LDH to less than one and a half times upper limit of normal, These patients can have variability in the hemoglobin. Quite a lot of patients will have a stability in the hemoglobin and these patients, we will continue therapy. But in a group of patients, these patients can continue to have reductions in the hemoglobin. And the first thing I always look out is to make sure that their underlying bone marrow failure is not the reason these patients have a reduction in the hemoglobin, and need blood transfusion. So in patients who have symptomatic anemia with a hemoglo- low hemoglobin and needing regular or intermittent transfusions, I will look for their underlying bone marrow failure. And the reason being PNH is a dynamic disease. It's not a static disease. And as described before, 90% of patients will have an underlying stigmata of bone marrow failure and patients can have a combination of AAPNH or PNH can go towards aplastic anemia and thereby this needs to be treated separately because complement inhibition will not work in the context of aplastic anemia bone marrow failure. But once you have looked at this group of patients, you'll always wonder whether there are a group of patients who have an elevation in their LDH, be it persistent or intermittent. In those group of patients, we'll always try to ascertain why their LDH is fluctuant. And we would consider two things, if it's possible to be done, is to monitor them closely and also do a CH50. And this is because of a phenomenon which is called breakthrough hemolysis. And this should be suspected in patients who have responded to therapy, but continue to demonstrate an elevated LDH. So patients, especially in the context of uh, Eclizumab, have a phenomenon which is called pharmacokinetic breakthrough hemolysis, where due to possibly elevation in the free C5 and the reduction in the uh, pharmacological compound, i.e. eclizumab, these, pa- these patients can start to develop hemolysis towards the end of their infusion period, i.e. 24, 48, 72 hours prior to their infusion. And this can be overcome either by including the dose of eclizumab or switching over to ravulizumab, because we do not see this pharmacokinetic breakthrough hemolysis in the context of map, And this is an type of intravascular hemolysis because of the uh, activation of the membrane attack complex due to inadequate dosing. What about pharmacodynamic breakthrough hemolysis? And this is seen both with eclizumab and map, And this is probably because of complement activation conditions that it is nothing to do with the adequacy of the dosing of the eclizumab or ravulizumab, but these patients can have intravascular hemolysis, i.e. breakthrough hemolysis due to complement activating conditions like infection, surgery, trauma, or other other stresses to the complement system. And this can happen irrespectively at any time period during the the course of the treatment or any time point during the course of either two-weekly or eight-weekly eclizumab and rabluzumab. What about the clinically significant extravascular hemolysis? So as I have alluded to before, Most, if not all, patients who are treated with C5 inhibitor will have a degree of extravascular hemolysis, i.e. due to the C3D fragments deposited on the PNH red cells, which are kept alive and stopped from membrane attack complex. But these cells need to be cleared by the reticuloendothelial system. So as I mentioned most, if not all, patients will have a degree of extravascular hemolysis. In those cases who have clinically significant extravascular hemolysis, these patients could be considered for treatment with proximal uh, complement blockade, i.e. C3 blockade, either in approved therapies or in clinical uh, clinical trials, including factor B and factor D inhibition. So hopefully I've been able to... uh, in this presentation able to show you different causes of anemia different types of hemolysis be it breakthrough hemolysis pharmacokinetic pharmacodynamic and also extravascular hemolysis and able to show how these patients are uh, managed when you are on a complement inhibitor especially c5 inhibitor what are the steps needs to be taken to monitor their ldh hemoglobin Reticulocyte count, look for alternate causes for anemia, which could be very simple, including a folate deficiency or epo deficiency or iron overload, or it could be more complicated, like a bone marrow failure, and try to elucidate different causes of why this patient could be anemic with high reticulocyte count, prior to thinking that this could be due to clinically significant extravascular hemolysis. So Hopefully, I've been able to show that in an untreated PNH, this is classically a disease of intravascular hemolysis. Patients on complement inhibitors do definitely need long-term, lifelong monitoring for various complications. Can we use simple laboratory parameters to delineate various causes of anemia on C5 inhibition, which can be multifactorial? and could be related to the dynamic state of PNH and its close association with bone marrow failure, and also to show that pharmacokinetic breakthrough hemolysis is extremely uncommon or rare in the era of rablizumab while compared to eclizumab, and clinically significant extravascular hemolysis should be identified and managed with proximal complement inhibitors if available, but need to be very much aware of the evolving risk of PK or PD mediated intravascular hemolysis on C3 inhibitors. Thank you.
2: Hello, I'm Jeff Sher from the Royal Melbourne Hospital in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to this activity entitled how to control hemolysis in patients with PNH. In this presentation, I will utilize a patient case to discuss the current management approaches to pharmacokinetic, pharmacodynamic, uh, breakthrough hemolysis and extravascular hemolysis. I will also discuss uh, when a patient uh, who is experiencing extravascular hemolysis while receiving inhibitors of the fifth component of complement should be moved to a new therapy, and when and what special interventions may be required for patients experiencing breakthrough hemolysis on such therapies. I'd like to illustrate uh, many of these points with a uh, patient um, who uh, was a 24 year old travel agent at the time she presented, uh, and she presented to hospital with abdominal pain and trilineage cytopenias. She had been requiring transfusions uh, for approximately six weeks, um, and uh, in the context of this abdominal pain. Uh, PNH was diagnosed by flow cytometry and a bone marrow biopsy uh, as shown. You can see her presentation and laboratory values. Uh, She was significantly anemic, mildly thrombocytopenic, had a lactate dehydrogenase that was uh, significantly elevated, and a granulocyte PNH clone that was measured by flow cytometry at 88%. Echolizumab was begun after the diagnosis of bud chiari syndrome was confirmed uh, after abdominal pain and ascites um, uh, complicated her original presentation. She was anticoagulated with low molecular weight heparin and transitioned to warfarin. And after commencement of Echolizumab, she developed uh, a rapid improvement in clinical status, as well as an improvement in the liver changes uh, as measured by magnetic resonance imaging. Her lactate dehydrogenase normalised rapidly, as you will see. At that point, goals of care were fairly easy to establish to prevent further thrombotic events and in particular for the patient to prevent abdominal pain, to improve the haemoglobin, to avoid transfusion if possible, and uh, as a consequence of all of these things, to improve her quality of life, which was quite poor at the time of presentation to hospital. Six months after starting ecolizumab, uh, after a period of stability, the lactate dehydrogenase was noted to be rising again. It peaked at uh, 483 and stabilised at about 1.25 times the upper limit of normal. The haemoglobin required some support, but less than in the six weeks prior to starting treatment, and the haemoglobin stabilised uh, in a subnormal but stable range without transfusion. You can see at one year after starting ecolizumab, the hemoglobin was slightly higher than it was at diagnosis. The platelet count was also a little higher. The lactate dehydrogenase was about one and a quarter times the upper limit of normal. She had a persistent reticulocytosis of 14%. Uh, The bilirubin was elevated. Um, The granulocyte PNH clone size had increased uh, to 97%. Uh, and the erythrocyte uh, clone size was 87%. Liver enzymes were normal at this point. She had a positive direct antiglobulin test with C3D um, and uh, this was thought to be significant. She had a further bone marrow examination um, which once again showed it to be mildly hypocellular but had uh, significant erythroid hypoplasia in the background There was adequate megakaryocytopoiesis uh, with some dysplasia noted in the erythroid and megakaryocyte lines, but the cytogenetics were diploid and no myeloid variants were seen in the next generation sequencing, which was again repeated three years later and was again um, apparently germline. She did require ongoing transfusions for those uh, two to three years, uh, roughly every six to eight weeks on average. The Pegasus trial gave us an opportunity to um, uh, expose patients like this one to uh, the C3 inhibitor pegcetacoplan. Uh, the study was designed with a run-in period with um, continued eculizumab and pegcetacoplan, a, uh, a randomised period where either pegcetacoplan was used uh, by itself uh, or eculizumab was continued, and then there was an open-label period where. Um, Pegsaterco plan uh, would be used uh, in a continued fashion in patients who received this in the randomised period, uh, or with an overlap time with uh, combined therapy for four weeks uh, before moving on to Peg- co plan alone. You can see uh, the the variation in uh, counts uh, and lactate dehydrogenase in this uh, patient, uh, with a significant improvement in the. Um, Hemoglobin uh, into the normal range after pegcetocoplan was commenced, and uh, a significant drop in the bilirubin uh, down to the normal range soon after it was started. She uh, experienced an episode of mild breakthrough hemolysis uh, some three years after starting uh, pegcetocoplan, uh, and this was secondary to a COVID 19 infection. It was transient, and no change in therapy was required. But breakthrough hemolysis in some patients may be more significant and may not have an underlying cause identifiable and sometimes requires intervention with increased doses of, um, of the C3 inhibitor or in some cases um, the use of uh, a single dose of a C5 inhibitor. However, um, during, this beg- uh, during this period after peg co plan was commenced, this patient required no further transfusions. She tolerated the injections well and was so well that she was contemplating pregnancy again, um, which produced some uh, difficulty for us in terms of planning. So at this point, we needed to revise our goals of care and we could now talk about normalisation of haemoglobin and normalisation of the quality of life. Pregnancy as a potential uh, outcome became complicated as there is little experience with um, C3 inhibitors uh, in uh, pregnancy. Uh, It may induce risk-taking behaviour such as uh, sporting activities likely to induce a situation that um, might injure the patient and uh, result in breakthrough hemolysis. And then we needed to plan for the management of further breakthrough events uh, if they occurred. But they are all a consequence Uh, of goals of care, which are around normalization. So there are future treatments uh, coming online for PNH. Uh, There are biological goals, uh, as I've spoken about, uh, including the management of uh, C3-mediated events uh, and uh, the maintenance of uh, thromboembolic phenomena prevention, uh, as yet um, less clearly described in, uh, with coplan and other proximal inhibitors uh, remains uh, a goal, of course. And then there are the clinical and laboratory endpoints, um, uh, which uh, become goals of therapy. One can see um, in this publication from the EBMT uh, from a couple of years ago, the sorts of um, outcomes that uh, could be expected, uh, and they define these outcomes as complete response, Good response, partial response, and a minor response. Where, um, when you get down to the minor response, uh, um, we, we've achieved transfusion independency, uh, but still um, have uh, ep- episodes of extravascular hemolysis. These are some of the agents that are being investigated at various parts of the uh, complement pathway, including the alternative pathway, the, the lectin and classical pathways. Uh, and uh, you can see that uh, there are a number of other agents targeting C5 and C5A directly, which are in uh, development, and uh, other agents which might uh, inhibit C3 convertase along with pegs coplan. But there is considerable interest in the proximal inhibitors. Uh, the one most developed, uh, iptocopan, which is a Factor B inhibitor uh, on the alternative pathway, has, uh, has had... Um, Recent data presented showing uh, apparent uh, good efficacy and uh, danicapan and vermicapan as factor D inhibitors are also um, being uh, investigated in current clinical trials. So there are many uh, potential therapies uh, available and combinations of some of these may well be uh, uh, of interest as well. Assessing a patient along the pathway uh, was well summarised in this uh, beautiful graphic by uh, Austin Kulasekhararaj, also about two years ago, and indicates how you might uh, explore uh, outcomes uh, in patients uh, who are deemed suitable for complement inhibitor treatment. Um, Commencing a patient on a C5 inhibitor who does well um, with uh, reduced lactate dehydrogenase uh, satisfactory response in hemoglobin and good quality of life, that patient would be asked to continue therapy. However, if the lactate dehydrogenase is reduced but is still above 1.5 times the upper limit of normal, one needs to consider whether the dosing is at war agent are correct and whether this is pharmacokinetic or pharmacodynamic breakthrough. Uh, if there is no impact at all, one has to consider the presence of one of the rare mutations in C5 which render uh, complement insensitive to binding by the currently available C5 uh, inhibitors. The development of breakthrough hemolysis might be indicated by the redevelopment or persistence of uh, symptomatic anemia uh, and an elevated reticulocyte count uh, along with a mildly elevated lactate dehydrogenase um, uh, points towards uh, extravascular hemolysis which needs to be dealt with uh, in one of the ways we've spoken about already. Uh, An ongoing need for transfusions uh, should require uh, a search for other causes of this, including hypersplenism, uh, the presence of bleeding, uh, especially if the patient has significant thrombocytopenia, and uh, alloimmunization from previous uh, uh, transfusions. Bone marrow failure is always in the background of these patients and may be a reason uh, for the goal of therapy of normalisation of haemoglobin not being achieved even with the complete control of intravascular hemolysis without uh, extravascular hemolysis being evident. Iron overload uh, becomes a complication uh, in those patients that needs to be dealt with uh, by itself. So I hope I've spoken to the fact that PNH is a complex uh, diagnosis uh, with potentially fatal complications. Uh, Terminal complement inhibition has clearly changed the natural history of this disease in a positive way but newer proximal inhibitors and possibly some combinations uh, do offer the potential and the reality now to further improve outcomes in those patients who need it and alter our goals of therapy in patients who had not achieved normality before. Breakthrough hemolysis as an entity that had not been seen in C5 inhibition, um, uh, but is seen in some patients on proximal complement inhibitors requires pre-planning of an approach to deal with it should it occur. Uh, and uh, as I've indicated, the current approach is either to increase the doses or frequency of the proximal inhibitor and possibly the short term addition of a C5 inhibitor. I thank you for your attention.
0: This has been an activity published by Pure Voice.